Our scripture today is 1 John 2:28 through chapter 3 verse 3. And in our little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we shall be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you made New Year's resolutions, uh, probably by now you're not keeping them, right? That tends to be the way we roll, doesn't it? We, uh, we get excited at the outset and, and we uh, have these things in mind that we anticipate doing and then uh, uh, we fall off. And, and so it is with life. We uh, desire to do uh, great things for God and great things that are good for ourselves, and uh, we fall short. So if you're there this morning, this last sermon in the series called Habits is for you. It is a sermon, uh, this, these, this, all these sermons have been uh, drawn from, I guess you might say, one of the habits of, of uh, Covey's book, Seven Habits. And this one is called Sharpen the Saw. And for those of you who know me, well, you know I am preaching to myself. Uh, you know that. I will just put it out there. Uh, I know as I preach, some of you are going to think in your minds, the pot is calling the kettle black. All right, I know what's going through your minds or will go through your minds. I struggle with this. Anybody who is a doer um, and you love getting things done will struggle with what I'm talking about today. Uh, Those of you who are more reflective in nature, you're going to say, ah, this is easy. But if you're a doer, if you're a type A person, you're going to struggle with this. This whole idea of sharpening the saw is based on a little uh, parable, I guess, of of a man who hired somebody to work for him and uh, to cut wood, right? And he, he cut day one. One, uh, one of those old cro- cross saws and worked hard, got a lot done. Day two, uh, worked just as hard, got less done. Day three, just as hard, maybe a little harder, got less done. And by the end of the week, he wasn't getting near as much done as he was day one. And so when the, uh, uh, his boss came to him and said, I'm going to have to let you go. He said, why? I, I, I'm working as hard as I was when I started. And he said, uh, yeah, but look at how much less you're getting done. The guy never, ever stopped to sharpen his saw. Um, if he had, he would have gotten work done. But in his mind was this thought, if I stop to do that, I can't saw. This is... A quintessential challenge for doers is to take time to take care of yourself. All right, so that's what we're going to talk about. Now, uh, you might ask then the question, how in the world does John deal with this? John is writing to people who are being battered by outsiders uh, who are saying that Christ wasn't God. And the reason they're saying that is how could man ever be God? 
That's their big problem. Today we don't struggle with that near as much. We struggle with how could God ever be man uh, today. But but uh, they struggled with the reverse. How could man, a human being, ever be God? So they taught a new theology. And A.W. Tozer said, uh, what we think about God is most likely the import, most important thing about us. I agree with him. Why? Because if you change a theology, you change the morality. And if you change the morality, you change the spirituality. It's a wave. Your theology informs your morality, which informs your spirituality. And in their case, if Jesus isn't God, I can sin all I want to. That was their deal. If Jesus isn't God, I can sin all I want to. This is why John opens this letter saying, my dear children, I write to you, do not sin. Uh, I can sin all I want to. And if that's your new morality, their new spirituality just sucked the love out, right? Because if Jesus isn't God, then I can sin all I want to. It created an arrogant theology, an arrogant spirituality that just drained the love out of the church. And John writes, and he has this underlying message. Here it is. And this is how to take care of yourself. You say, John had no clue about habit number seven. I know that. But this is how to take care of yourself. Hope in Christ. Hope in Christ. So, oh, Jerry, that's so basic. And, and, and are you sure? And yeah, we'll get there by the end. Hope in Christ. Someone has said man can live 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for a second without hope. Hope is absolutely critical. So what does it look like, according to John, to put your hope Your anticipation in Christ. Number one, to hope in Christ is to abide in him. To hope in Christ is to abide in him. So we want to talk about uh, this little word abide. 1 John 2.28, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. All right, so how do you abide? John talks about this in John 15, and it seems to be this term that's just kind of out there. And what does it look like? The Old Testament talks about this too, and I think it makes most sense there. To abide is to wait. To wait for God. Let me read it to you. I think the Old Testament so illustrates what the New Testament teaches. Psalm 62, for God, David writes, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock. And my fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Verse 5, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. To abide is to wait for God. To abide in God is to wait for him. So 
on Friday, we went to the airport in Senegal. And if you have never flown out of a third world airport, oh my, it is a totally different experience. It it just is. Uh, Hannah and I counted and we showed our passports 12 times to get on our plane. And so we're standing there, and it is just a madhouse. It is 11.20 their time, so it's, it's 5.20 our time when our plane leaves out. We get there about two and a half hours early, and we're standing in this line to, to fingerprint and get out of the country uh, and then to be scanned, uh, our bags and ourselves, and onto the plane, uh, flying to France in 20, uh, less than 24 hours. We'll cover three continents and four air. So we've got a hefty flight ahead of us, and it's a madhouse. And we all begin to talk to each other, wondering, are we going to make it out? Like, will we get on this plane in time to get uh, uh, to Paris? And so I have begun memorizing Psalm 34 uh, uh, before this trip and during this trip. And I'm standing there. Waiting in this line, and all of a sudden, Psalm 34.1 just comes right into my mind. The Holy Spirit just, just takes that word. I will bless the Lord at all times, even now. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And I begin to let the word of God just kind of wash over me as I'm standing there in this maddening line of people. And people are pushing and shoving and there's not a lot of order and we're just standing there. And all of a sudden, I'm not waiting on the Senegalese anymore. No lie. I'm waiting on God. That's what I was doing. And in the craziness of it, I'm not in the craziness of it. Am I still subject to whatever they do? Sure. Am I still hoping we get through in time? Yes. But I'm waiting on God. And this peace, unreal. I will bless the Lord at all times. So how do you do this? Pray the word, especially the Psalms. To hope in Christ is to abide in him. I would say go to the Psalms, pray the Psalms. Number two, to hope in Christ is to imitate him. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So please hear me. Uh, Our team, we taught uh, no heroes, right? Every righteous thing we did in Africa is because we're born of the righteous one. Every righteous thing you'll ever do is because you're born of one who is righteous. You're, You're God's... Boy, you're you're God's girl. And when you are, you're going to act like him. And if you don't act like him, John says, you don't belong to him. It's very cut and dry. If you do righteous things, it is because you're born of the righteous one. And if you don't do righteous things, you're not born of the righteous one. Uh, let me show you this picture of this uh, kid. 
Uh, his name is Nazir. Uh, it's kind of hard to see the way the picture's made, but you see his little thumb up. He's the pastor's four or five-year-old kid. And Nazir and I just hit it off. All right, so this is why. Um, it's because I have hairy arms. No lie. No lie. So when I sit down in the village, when we get there and I have a short sleeve shirt on, the kids come over and they begin petting me. No lie. Ask anybody on the team. I'm sitting there and here they'll come. And when one sees one kid petting me, here come the others and they just begin to pet me. If you want to be effective in missions, hairy arms. All right. So, so here Nazir comes over and he begins petting my arms. Right. And so I grab him, put him up on my lap and we begin, we can't talk. I don't know Wolof. He doesn't know English. We can't talk. And so we're hanging out and just, uh, and then he, he wonders if my face feels like my arms. I think he feels he's at a petting zoo. And so he starts to rub his hand all over my face, my ears, just anywhere. Like, what is this thing in front of me? And so he's doing that. And so I hold him up right in front of me. And I don't know what possessed me to do this, but I thought I should do this. And so I held him up and I said, Nazir, his eyes were really big, big. And I said, what's up like that. And he looked at me and said, what's up? Oh my, I had a convert right there. This is redneck language. And so I said, what's up? And he said, what's up? And we have a video of it. It was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Next morning we roll in or we get up. And when we get up, he sees me and he says, what's up? And I'm back and forth. And then the other kids started getting it. And I'm thinking, wait till somebody else, you know from the States comes through here and they're going to walk into this village and all the kids are going to go, what's up? (laughs) Yes. I love it. Absolutely love it. But do you know what? He's imitating my actions. But if you want to know why Nazir has this smile on his face, you just got to look at his mama, Esther, the pastor's wife. She's hilarious. She has a wonderful spirit about her. She's, she's bubbly. She's laughing. We went door to door. You're giving. The, we, we give $250 a month to support this church there and, and the pastor. And so uh, we bought soaps. And when I'm saying soaps, just a bar of soap about this big and four packets of laundry detergent, each this big. So we go door to door to hand them out. I'm with Esther, the pastor's wife. And I don't know anything being said because I don't know the language. And so I don't know anything being said. So we're just standing there. All these women are standing around. And all of a sudden they erupt in laughter. And I look over at Jean-Baptiste. What? Esther, they asked for prayer. Do you have prayer requests? And they, all, all these women stood there and said nothing. And Esther said, well, fine. I'm going to pray that God gives your husband a new wife. <laughs> and John, John looks at me and he said, she's a nut. That's why Nazir is the way he is. He has been born of Esther. And he gets it from her. Every righteous thing you will ever do is because you have been born of the righteous one. And if you're not doing righteous things, if you don't practice righteousness, cut and dry, you're not born of the righteous one. 
John develops that in verse 1. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. 1 John 3, 1. Jesus, speaking in John 15, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Please hear me on this. If the world loves you, it is because, my dear friends, you're part of the world. Okay, college students, there are several of you in here. If on your college campus, the ungodly students never ever look strangely at you or think you're strange or you say no again to sin to which they invite you. If that never happens, it's because you're one of them. That's why you're part of the world. Teenagers, if in the schools... Please hear me. There is no difference in you than the other kids. And if never you don't hear a slight word or you don't get a funny look or they don't wonder why you can't watch what they watch and go where they go and do what they do, it's because you're one of them. Jesus said, if the world hates you, that's a strong word. If the world doesn't hate you, it's because you're part of the world, the, the, the entire system of the enemy. You know, know that it has hated me, Jesus says, before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. We took our medical team to a neighboring village on day two. And Pastor Cherdna, wonderful godly man of the village that we served in. Uh, that first village has about 2,000 people where we served. We go to a neighboring village to do a medical clinic. And he said, eight years ago, this would be impossible. Why, Cherdna? He said, because I came over, set up a screen, showed the Jesus film, and they stoned me. Well, I can't wait to go now. <laughs> like, yay. Um, and so we go in there and the gospel just rode on the wings of, of, of medical folks doing what they do. And so we go over and we got a phone call. I was in the other village. Amazingly, no electricity, but cell phones work. And so... Uh, the guy I'm with gets a phone call and said they need a pastor to pray. And we arrive at this uh, building and we go out behind it and there's an old abandoned hospital bed sitting out there. And lying on that bed is a little five-year-old boy. And I look into the eyes of a dad who loves his son like I love mine. And the boy lays there and he's moaning with stomach pains. There is no doctor. There are no facilities for miles and miles. People don't own vehicles, of course. And this dad is there. And he looks into our eyes. And his desire is, help me with my boy. So Esther is there. 
the other pastor Cherna is there. I'm there. We begin to talk with him through interpretation, etc. Begin to talk with the dad. And then Esther said in English, this is an opportunity to share the gospel. Let me speak. Well, what they all know in both villages is that Esther used to be crazy. She ran naked. She was possessed by a demon. Attacked a preacher with a knife. He ran for his life, left his Bible, running for his life. She picked it up and God began to work and saved her. And when Esther talks, they listen. And so Esther said, pull up his shirt, pulled up his shirt. And sure enough, tied around his waist, which doctor they had taken him to in the elements that Hopefully, they were hoping the witch doctor would save their kid. And Esther looked at them and said, if you want me to pray in Jesus' name, get those things off him. You will not have Jesus and the witch doctor. It's either Jesus or it's the witch doctor. It's not Jesus and the witch doctor. And she began to share the gospel. And when she did... I thought, what are they going to do? This was all in another language. I just knew the interpreter was telling me what's going on. And sure enough, they sent for a knife, cut those off. And we began to pray for this boy. Had his medicine. Then we talked about God's gift of medicine. Gave the boy his medicine. What an amazing moment. What, What is Esther saying? If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. To hope in Christ is to imitate him. If you're not imitating him, you're hoping in something else. Number three, to hope in Christ is to look forward to seeing him. So I received a text from uh, Dylan Saladin here uh, toward the end of my trip in Africa. And he said, are you sad to go? Are you sad to leave? And I said, no, because I miss my family. The longer I'm married to that woman, the the less I like being away from her. I don't like to be away from her. It's the biggest cost to me of going on a mission trip is leaving Wendy. It's the biggest cost to me. It's hard. I just like being with her. And so when we do all of this flying and all of this maneuvering around and we finally land in Asheville yesterday at four o'clock, I'm Going out of the airplane to see two people, Wendy and my son Trent. Uh, there are other folks from the church, and I love you. Uh, you were there. I'm your pastor, and I love you. But honestly, I didn't care that you were there yesterday. I cared that she was there, and I cared that Trent was there. And I came out just, uh, just, just to see that face right there in person. Just thrilled me to no end. Why? I love her. And she puts up with a lot. Don't say amen. Uh, she puts up with a lot. I love her. I long to see her. I long to be with her. I love her. To hope in Christ is to look forward to seeing him. You say, Jerry, how does that work? Well, if you hope in the witch doctor, you look forward to seeing the witch doctor. All right, so this is going to get uncomfortable quick. If you hope in your career, 
you look forward to seeing the promotion. If you hope in your children's academic success, you have a nine-week cycle where you look forward to seeing the report card. If you hope in your children's sports careers, it's wins and losses. Do you follow me? There's nothing wrong with a great career, and there's nothing wrong with academic success, and there's nothing wrong at all, at all, with sports. But when we hope in anything, hope, ultimate, abide, wait for, long for. To hope in Christ is to look forward to seeing him. When you hope in him, you want to see him. I love this verse too. Beloved, we are God's children now. Isn't that good? But something happens here. Every commentary I have on 1 John can't explain it. Can't explain it. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. All right, so you're a work in progress. And everybody said, Amen. Right? You're a work in progress. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Why? Because we shall see him as he is. There is something miraculous that will happen when either in death or the return of Christ, I see him. And when I do, according to this, I am like him. Not God, but I'm like him. It's a miracle. Here, it's progressive. That's what we sang about. We have been resurrected to live a new life. We sang about that. But we are being resurrected every single day. It's progressive. So, uh, this verse says, just like that. Just, just seeing his face will somehow transform me. There, it, th- that's power. That's miracle. That's unreal. Do you want to see him? Do you want to look on his face? Are you at a place in your life where you would shrink back if he were to come today because you're not abiding in him? At the very end of this, he says, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You are pure because of the blood of Christ, but you are purer. You are made more pure. You are daily purified as you hope in him. As you hope in him and transition your hope to anything else. And life gets dirty fast. But if you want to be clean and clear before God in your conscience, in your heart, put your hope in him. You hope in him. That's what you do. If you want to take care of yourself, you will do it by hoping in Christ. Nothing else comes close. Nothing else satisfies. Nothing else gives you that sense. How can I stand in a crazy line in the airport in Senegal and somehow miss the craziness? My hope is in Christ. My hope is in him. say, so Jerry, how does this work itself out? So I'm going to be very transparent with you. 
Those of you who've known me for a while know I struggle occasionally with depression. Been two times in my life where it's been profound. Once as a teenager, once since I became pastor here, profound, difficult, extended period of time. But it was two weeks ago Thursday that seemingly out of nowhere, this gloom came on me and just dropped right square down on me. There are some things that can explain it, but then there were certain aspects of it that made no sense. I went immediately to Wendy and I said, I don't know where this came from. Part of it I can explain, but most of it I cannot. I just just don't know. My wife is, she's just always up. I mean, that's how she rolls. That's the way God made her, thankfully. And so we talked about it. I reached out to some friends. Some of you are here immediately and said, I need prayer and I need it now. Because I did. Because I'm just a week out from getting on a plane and going to another country. And all of a sudden, the following Sunday, two weeks ago today when I preached here, I battled sitting right there, standing there. God, you get me through sermon number one. And he did. And then I battled, God, you get me through sermon number two. And he did. And so, so what I want to share with you is that I'm a pastor and, and, and I struggle, you know that, as you do. But the solution isn't all spiritual. If you look at what Covey says, he says there's four areas that have to continually be sharpened. There is the physical, the spiritual, the social, emotional, and the intellectual. So what I realized is that it had been a year and a half since on any consistent basis I'd exercised. Year and a half. I ride my bike occasionally, but not enough to count. And uh, Wendy says I walk fast everywhere I go, so it has to count for something. So I said to Wendy, I will not take this line down. So the next morning, up, early, running. Two days later, up, early, running, farther, running more. Why? My body needs that, right? I know that. And I thought, I will not take this line down. Physical, spiritual, I cannot say enough to you and commend to you enough praying God's word. If you've never done it, go to the book of Psalms and start this week to take his word and begin to pray it right back to him. And I began to do that. Then there are social, emotional. All right, so I'm an introvert. And God has put me amongst a lot of people, right? Great sense of humor he has. But I'm an introvert. And uh, some of you know Chad Meese. Uh, Chad is never quiet. He was on our trip. He's never quiet, like ever. He talks all the time. And he was my roommate. And he was my tent mate. And in his sleep, I have never heard snoring of such voluminous capacity. I mean, the loudest snoring I've ever heard in my life. 
so loud that night one in the village, he's lying here facing me. I'm in the middle. Pastor Antoine from Africa is lying there. Chad is just booming toward me, voluminous snoring. It never ceased. An hour I lay there. And Psalm 34 that I'm memorizing says, in my distress, or, I called to the Lord. And he delivered me out of all my troubles. And I said, Lord, I'm memorizing this. Do it. Like, do it now. You're laughing. I'm serious. And then I hear the ladies' tent, five women in it. Turns out they have been there for an hour. They thought everybody else was asleep. No one was because they could hear him. Because what would happen when Chad would snore? There was a dog who thought there was some unknown animal in the desert. His snoring would go up and the dog would bark. And it was this cacophony, uh, this orchestra of pure and total torment. Snoring, barking, snoring, barking. And so they started talking. Well, I leaned up out of the vent of my tent and I said, I'm dying over here. They said, Jerry, do something to him. And so I moved him. We got a few moments of bliss only for it to return. Oh, wow. Next morning we get up. Chad comes bounding out of the tent. I slept like a baby. We're exhausted. 3.30, I fell asleep. No lie. 3.30, I fell asleep. And I thought, God, you have a great sense of humor. I just need to be alone. I need a little silence and I'm in the middle of the desert and I can't get it. But my point is this social, emotional. I'm an introvert. My wife is an extrovert. People fuel her. People drain me. For me to refuel, I have to get alone. Just have to. She's not right and I'm wrong. I'm not right. She's wrong. We're different. That's why God made us. Uh, folks, please hear me. I love you. Just starting my 17th year as your pastor. And what a joy. You've got to. Thank you. You've got to. Please hear me. You've got to take care of yourself. And I know I'm speaking to myself on this. But you have to. And then there's intellectual. Whatever that is for you. For me, it's reading. I just devoured books. I read three and a half since I left for Africa and got back. I love to read. But intellectually, you've got to stimulate the brain. It had been forever since I just sat down to read. You've got to do whatever it takes. You say, Jerry, all of that is bound up in hoping in Christ? Yeah, it is. It is. So do you know what I know? We're about to sing a song, and the song could not be clearer. And the early service was clear of this. There are some of you, and today is the day that you decide that tomorrow will be different. And so I'm going to be here. Alan Michael is going to join me here at the altar. And this is not an altar at all. Those don't exist anymore in the technical sense of the word. But this is definitely a place for you to come and for us to join you in prayer. I must say to you, I don't even know when.
that gloom lifted, but it did. I'm so glad. So glad. Whatever it is, however you came in here, it's on you if you leave that way.